much love. Hello, Julie. We're back with Ravaged Love. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? I'm so good. I, um, yeah, I'm really happy to be chatting with you this week, Renee, because whew, my book this week was legit amazing. Yeah, mine was just, a, it was amazing. It was so f- sweet, and I had, like, the full romance experience with this book like what I imagine like you know some single woman in like the late 80s eating her bonbons like that was me with this book I I could not get enough and I love it for us just because we deserve this but also we definitely (laughs) deserve it based on last week's books that were both terrible and (laughs) deeply offensive and so this week it's just like such a nice change of pace to be like my book was not garbage (laughs) (laughs) you know I liked my book last week it just was impossible to get past the very blatant racism so that that really ruined it for me but I liked my story like my story was okay yeah I'm real glad that we're over last week because Fabio (laughs) was not bringing me any joy but this week we're both so fired up to tell you about our books that we're not even going to read you a Danielle Steele poem we're just going to cut right to the chase because we really want to get into the meat and potatoes of this week and what was our theme this week Renee? Time travel. Time travel. Um, so the book that I read this week actually came from you. So I don't even know where you got it from. I actually got it from my neighbor, Steph, because Steph knows about our show. I don't know if she listens to the show, but every now and then I'll just find a book on my on my porch <laughs> uh, that she'll, she had found like somewhere and she leaves it for me and I didn't get a chance to read it. Um, and then when we were together this summer, I passed it on to you because I we were building this episode around my book. So <laughs> yes, shout out to Steph. <laughs> yes, shout out to our benefactors. Um, I have a friend who also similarly was like digging through um, one of those like my little libraries that people have in front of their house. Yeah, um, and was like, "Girl, <laughs> send me a picture." And so I have a book coming my way thanks to that. So thank you, everyone. We love your suggestions. We love your recommendations. Keep the feedback coming. Um, best way to reach us is through our socials, Twitter and Instagram, Ravage Love at both. Um, we love our fans and we are here to give the people what they want, which is some shitty ass romance. So this week, thanks to Renee via her neighbor, I read The Imposter by Elaine Fox. Elaine Fox lives in Arlington, Virginia. And her last book was in 2009, so I don't really know what she's been up to, but I did love that when I did a deep dive on her, I found she has an entire series of romance novels that are um, around the subject of dogs. So, big dog lover, so like people meet at a dog park, or like a vet falls in love with someone, I mean, it's just like lives for it, but this is historical fiction slash, I guess, sci-fi-y because there is time travel. Now, Mm -hmm. my book came out in 1999, so it's one of the more recent ones we've read in the last bit. And I will say, you gave it to me, I trusted your judgment, and I just took it. I didn't read the back. And I'm glad I didn't because this is one of those cases, like, you know when you see a trailer for a movie and it's basically the whole fucking movie and you're like, why am I going to pay to see this movie? That's how I feel about the back of this book. So I'm very glad I did not read the back before I started reading it because I actually got woo by a plot twist um, that is actually on the back of the book. And I was like, ugh, that's so stupid. <laughs> so <clears throat> let me set the scene for you. It starts in 1998, um, in January of 1998 in London, um, in Darset. England, actually. So I'm assuming that's like somewhere near there. Um, So he's flying into Flynn. His name is Flynn Patrick. And Nina, his date, flying into Heathrow. They're on their way to Dorset, England for a wedding. And it's clear that him and Nina don't really get along that well. And like, she's really pretty and she just is like very vapid and wants to like get married and like blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, ugh, 
I don't know what to do with you, but my mom is telling me I have to go to this wedding of an old, old, old friend of mine. So I brought her along and here we are. They're like bickering the whole time. They're in a limo on the way to this Dorset, England place, which is about an hour outside of the airport. And he's like staring out the window like, oh, fuck, what is my life? And then he notices that there's like a bird flying like really close to the limo and like keeping pace with the limo um and just like keep staring at this raven or a crow we can't really tell and he's like oh what's wrong with this bird anyways keep that in mind goes okay. to ends up at this mansion castle type place um and it's beautiful and huge and he's just like really taken by it and when he's walking through at one point he sees this beautiful painting of this gorgeous woman in this beautiful red dress um, and he's really struck by her and like can't stop looking at it and then Nina gets jealous of a painting. It's so dumb. Um, anyways, <laughs> he has this weird deja vu the whole time that he's in this castle. Like he's just like, I've never been here before, but like I feel like I've been here before. It's super weird. Um, and then he has a terrible time at this wedding. Like it's just like not wanting to be there. So it gets right wasted um and then ends up getting to like a bit of a tiff with nina goes outside goes out are you all right do you got the yeah, covid good. okay covid sorry <laughs> so yeah so he's on this wedding he gets like pissed drunk goes outside and goes to like have a sit near this fountain falls in the fountain thinks he's drowning and you're like what's going on then it just cuts so now you're like okay Flynn Patrick is in London in 1998 at a wedding, drunk, falls in a fountain. Then it cuts to January 1815, so many, many years prior, in Dorset, England, where Millisound Sinclair keeps having these vivid dreams about a dark-haired, blue-eyed man who keeps rescuing her and then disappearing. And she tells her maid, who's like, ooh, that's kind of scandalous. And there's like, maybe that's what Lord Bellingham looks like. And Lord Bellingham is a man she has never met before, but she has been betrothed to him. And if she marries him, she will become a duchess. Um, so she's like, okay, okay, like maybe it's him. Maybe he's a smoking hot dude who keeps showing up in my dreams. So she goes to this castle and has a big party for her betrothal betrothal whatever it's called like they're basically having an engagement party she meets this dude for the first time total creeper super old super gross um she's like oh fuck oh fuck i can't be here like i can't marry this guy he's shit he's so gross he's so creepy and he like makes a move on her and then she says no and he's like oh i get it you want to be a virgin for a wedding night like that's hot so she's like fuck me and then she catches him like canoodling with some young woman so she's like i'm getting the hell out of here so she mm-hmm. climbs the walls to jump out of the castle and who emerges from a fountain but Flynn Patrick. So mm. what is cool about this book is that unlike a lot of other time travel books, including the Outlander series, the dude is the one who time travels. She okay. time travel. So she's like in 1815, this dude pops up. He's like in a suit, which makes no sense for 1815. He's confused as to what the fuck is going on. She's like what is happening and then all of a sudden the the dude she was supposed to marry the duke like sees her running away and sees flynn patrick pop out of a fountain and then starts chasing after them they meet up with each other and then it turns into like look we're fucked i'm fucked you're fucked let's just work together to get ourselves to london where we'll meet if we get to london you can talk to your aunt and figure out what you're going to do with your life because you clearly don't want to marry this scumbag and I can go back to the future. And of course, she's like, you're clinically insane. You are not from the future. <laughs> that is weird. Um, and so there's much confusion. And <laughs> there's much like typical back and forth, like, I hate you, you hate me. That kind of thing going back. Um, she, They stay at this inn where she gets robbed in the middle of the night. So they have no money. So they basically have to like beg, borrow, and steal, and they have to do chores in order to get housing and find a horse, and it's this whole thing. And of course, they hate each other, but they're attracted to each other. Just, you know, classic. Get to London, meet the aunt. The aunt is like, da fuck woman, you are the talk of the town, you were supposed to be a duchess, you bailed on him. Um, you know, everyone keeps thinking that this guy kidnapped you, but then you rolled in here with him, so clearly you didn't, you didn't get kidnapped, you just decided to bail on this, and like, 
what about us what about our family we need you know like this is bad for our reputation and this guy is like bananas like he's talking about how he's from the future like you found like a fucking escaped mental patient basically and ran away with him so now the only thing that we can do is you got to marry this guy you got to marry him and then you will be able to save some shred of your dignity meanwhile there's like a thousand actually quite funny mishaps where like he is very confused as to how it's in 1815 keeps thinking it's a dream realizes it's not and then keeps making flip-ups like at one point someone asks him about his upbringing and he's like oh my parents were divorced and they're like divorce <laughs> um and then at one point someone mentions like how they feel unwell at certain times of the year and he's like oh you have allergies and then realizes allergies had not yet been quote-unquote discovered yet so people were like what are you talking about so just like some funny quips about him trying to figure out why the fuck he's in the past but also yeah the cultural pieces which were pretty good um then then the duke this is the plot twist that i'm glad i didn't read the back the duke uncle says i want to meet with the newlyweds so they end up getting married um just to basically please her because he was like i you know i don't know why i'm here but i don't want your reputation to be ruined so i will marry you um in the back of his mind thinking and then i'm gonna try to find my way back to 1998 america and fucking go home and so he marries her and then yeah the next day they get this letter from like the duke's uncle saying hey i want to meet you for tea so now there she's like oh shit do you think he's gonna like come after us because I bailed on his nephew? And then people are like, no, he seems like genuinely pumped that you got married. And like, it's kind of weird, but I don't know. Let's just go and see what he has to say. Well, they show up there and the Duke is asking like a thousand questions of Flynn. Like, what's your story? And where are you from? And like real like intensely. And Flynn's like, uh, I live in the States. Um, I was adopted by two Americans when I was five. Um, I was like in an orphanage, uh, I, I guess, somewhere in London. And then my parents, yeah, were traveling there, picked me up from an orphanage, took me home. That's like all I know. And he's like, no, think, think harder. And he's like, um, I don't. He's like, I, I think I remember like playing in the grass at some point when I was a baby. And then I remember sitting in a house with like looking at a fireplace and you're like, as a reader, you're like, the fuck is all this? And then he's like, yeah, and I remember there was like a bird. And then the old man's like, it's you and says, <laughs> you're my son. And when you were like five or six, I don't, yeah, around the time that he was adopted, he, you were playing hide and go seek with your friend Lord, like L-O-U-R, Lordis, I guess, Lordis. You're playing with your friend and you, we heard a splash and then you disappeared. So we assumed that you had been kidnapped, but you are now my son. Um, and he's like, there's no fucking way. This is all batshit crazy. What is even happening? Um, and says, okay, come back with me to the castle. Basically the starting point, walk around the house. And if anything rings familiar, then it means that you in fact lived here and it's where you were born. And Flynn is like, perfect. I can go back, hop back in that fountain and fucking go home. It all works out. But of course, at this point, now he's fallen for Mitty Sound. Now he's, he's, in torn. Love. he's in love, right? So he's like, he's torn between, do I go back to the castle, hop in the fountain in peace, or do I go back to the castle, tell this guy, yeah, I am in fact your son, and then in which case, he gets to become a duke, she becomes a duchess, and now he gets to elevate her status from, like, tethered you know, to this life of poverty and shittiness to like being fancy. So he's having this big dilemma. It doesn't help that on their wedding night, they bone and it's smoking hot. And now he's like rolling his feelings about it. Sure enough, they go back to the castle where the whole thing started. He's walking around and he was like, oh my God. And like finds this secret doorway that like no one would have known unless he had lived there at some point. He... Basically, yeah, so then they figured out, oh my god, yeah, you are in fact my son. And no one really questions, like, where he's been, which I find fascinating. <laughs> like, he never tells them, yes, I fell in a fountain, and that is why I'm here. But, um, sure enough, they're like, you're my son, which means you get to inherit all of this money, and you are now a duke, and she's a duchess. 
and he's like okay I think I'm gonna stay I think I'm gonna stay I think this is like made for me I'm gonna like live my best life and then Duke Bellingham the infamous dude from the jump that she was supposed to marry shows up and he's like I knew you'd come back here you piece of shit they fight Duke pushes Flynn Patrick <gasps> back into the fountain so you're like oh no but then he hears a shot ring out and is like, oh, I'm dead. This is clearly it. Or I'm going back to 1998. Nope. Midi pulls him out of the fountain. His friend Lords, who he was playing hide and seek with, was also at the party, shoots the bad guy. Yeah. And he realizes, hey, I fell in this fountain and I didn't go back to 1998, which means I was never supposed to go back to 1998. I was supposed to be here all along. You're like, this is beautiful. Yeah. Then he goes <clears throat> in the house and realizes the painting of the woman that he saw is Mili Sound. And that I know. And then the painting right beside him, it was this an old man with this pocket watch. And it was the pocket watch that she bought him for their wedding. So then, right. Right. So then he shows it to her and, and cause she's paranoid, right? She's like, I, she's getting to the point where she believes finally it's fucked up. It makes no sense to me, but yeah, you are absolutely from the future. And so you're going to leave me. You're going to leave me because you're not supposed to be here. And he's like, no, no, I've decided I want to stay. And then when he comes out of the fountain and he doesn't get sucked back to the time, he's like, see, see, I was supposed to be here the whole time. And she's like, I don't know. I, I just, I'm never going to feel safe knowing that you could just zap back to the future. And so he then shows her the paintings and says, no, look, this is us when we're old. This is like what we're supposed to look like. Um, and then she was like, oh my God, yay. And then... That's how it fucking ends. Sorry, the paintings of them as old people were already in the house? Yeah, so that part... <laughs> he explains to her that they were in the house when he was in 1998. Oh, so they're not actually in the house now? No, so the painting of her young and hot is. Okay. Um, but in the future, when oh. he was in the house the first time, there was a painting of an old man... That he was like, oh, I wonder who that is. And then noticed, like, oh, he has, like, a really interesting watch. And he's, like, kind of holding the watch in the painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when they get to the house and he sees the painting of her, um, he's like, I fucking, this painting is, I saw this painting, like, you know, a hundred some odd years ago. Or, like, from now, I guess, or whatever it looks like. Um, and I'm here to tell you there's a painting right beside it of an old man holding a watch. Oh, my God. I and love then- it. I know, and she's like, I guess we were meant to be together. And he's like, yeah, always and forever. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, How many pages, Julie? Um, It was a decent amount, 362. Okay. So pretty lengthy. Um, I would say, yeah, so the <laughs> general descriptions, though. Yeah, buddy. Um, <laughs> member? Yeah. A lot of member organ. His organ, um, his manhood, mm-hmm. and then she was only her bits were only ever referred to as the nexus between her legs, <laughs> which I thought that's a choice. That's yeah. a choice. Um, so I would say very the one sex scene very spicy. It's very long. There's only one sex scene, but it's very long, very detailed, very consensual, and like in a very hot way, like she's a virgin it's their wedding night and he like it to get consent from her because she's like being shy she's like oh i've never been naked in front of someone he basically like edges her to make her like beg for him so that he knows that she's into it Whew, a spicy um <laughs> so i'm gonna give it four out of five shots of brandy because every time she gets like in a tizzy she has a shot of brandy so i'm giving it four to five shots of brandy big fan of the imposter by elaine fox um the only <laughs> so as always go to our instagram and our twitter so you can see the covers of the book on the cover of the book he is shirtless coming out of a fountain and there's a woman <laughs> like there is a review on goodreads where someone said earnestly that they were upset that he's shirtless on the cover of the book because when he comes out of the fountain in the book he's wearing a suit <laughs> basically called it like false advertising like that's a glaring pothole so (laughs) (laughs) oh that like legit killed me i'm like well i mean she's not wrong um no (laughs) but um yeah so that's the imposter by elaine fox really enjoyed it 
um would recommend yeah yeah <laughs> just know that he comes out of the fountain with like an Armani suit on and not shirtless <laughs> that was the only thing wrong with the book yeah like literally she, and it's true like all the like the, the reviews are quite good and it's all things that are I would agree with like the writing is really strong um like very clever witty banter like actual hot sexual tension like when they fuck you're like I believe that they would be into each other like it's considered an H-E ea so a happy happily ever after um yeah like solid book but she was like except that cover (laughs) you know i'm like my biggest beef is that the plot twist is at the back of the book like at the back of the book they say like it was his son the whole time and you're like well fuck so what's the point of reading this but anyways that's me the imposter by elaine fox what did you read this week renee oh i bought this book last year just randomly like before everything shut down or maybe it was my first visit back to value village i don't know and i the back is very problematic like i'm it's very problematic the story but the book was not story was not so my book is called frankly my dear which <laughs> is about a model in 1996 who is obsessed with gone with the wind and She's visiting Louisiana for a photo shoot, and she's decided this is going to be her last modeling gig. Um, she wants to go back to school. She wants to become a psychologist. Um, the reason why was because her best friend Tessa died because of anorexia, and so uh, Celine, my main character, is feeling, um, you know, like the beauty industry is really keeping women down, and she doesn't want to be a part of that anymore. So imagine being my author, Sandra Hill. Best-selling author, I might add, of The Tarnished Lady. Oh. Imagine being Sandra Hill in 1996 sitting down and saying, I want to write a different kind of historical romance. One that is anti-racist, that includes body positivity, and is also kind of funny. And I'll tell you, Julie, she tried her best. She <laughs> tried her best. Um, so all the only thing in the world that Celine loves is beignets. That's all she wants in her life is like buckets of beignets. And she's in Louisiana. She's in the French Quarter with her agent, uh, Georgia Jones. Um, But she's not allowed to eat anything. She's basically starved for this photo shoot and she's dying for these beignets, but she's going to get there. That's her her reward for finishing this photo shoot. Um, So as they're walking around the French Quarter, Georgia, who's a black woman, um, starts to tell her about a descendant she had named Fleur. And Fleur was um, like a quadroon. Um, and a quadroon back in like pre-Civil War era would have been um, like a mixed race black woman who um, was kind of taken on as a mistress uh, by a Creole man um, for like protection ultimately and like has his kids and lives, you know, comfortably and not as a slave. Um, but she's, you know, telling this sad story about how Flora was killed by her uh, partner because she was pregnant. It's really, really sad. And so they had this moment of like, ah, slavery is bad. Um, <laughs> Celine, yeah. Celine um, is coming out of this really, really toxic relationship of three years with this guy named Devin, who basically shot on her all the time. However, she was voted the most beautiful face in America. And then there's Devin thinking that he's like hot shit and like just is mean to her all the time. So she has really uh, battered self-esteem when it comes to like the men in her life. So she's deciding, you know what? I'm rich. I am beautiful. I want to eat beignets and I'm going to go back to school. You're just like, yes, Celine, crush it. Yes, get it, girl. Yeah, she's in this hotel and the theme of this photo shoot is like the old South. So she's just like tickled because she's like, I fucking love Scarlett O'Hara. Um, so she gets to wear this beautiful gown by this designer named Philip. Um, but there's this other model, Julie, whose name is Lilith. And Lilith claims that she is a descendant of the famous voodoo queen, Marie Laveau. And Lilith this whole time has been trying to put voodoo curses on Celine because she's jealous that she gets to be like the main model. Well, sure enough, Julie, she does put a curse on her. A curse that sends her back in time! So Celine is being spun around this room in this photo shoot. They're dancing. She's in this beautiful, beautiful ball gown. Um, And then she, like, passes out because she's just, like, not feeling well. And she wakes up 
And she's like, oh my God, look, look at all these great um, actors that Philippe got for this photo shoot. They look really like real Creole gentlemen. Um, because they were, Julie. Um, so she wakes up on this windowsill and she's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why are all these models so short? Um, and then there's a man standing next to her. He's like, oh, cause you're at the quadroon ball. And she's like, what the fuck is a quadroon? He's like, you know, like, you know, a black mixed race woman, um, you know, blah, 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 explains what a quadroon is. And he's like, like you. And she's like, pardon me. He's like, yeah, you know, you, you're a black woman. And he's like, she's like, no, I'm not. He's like, look how dark your skin is. She's like, it's a tan. He's like, well, look how nappy your hair is. That's a pern. Look how dark your eyes are. Those are contacts. Like she's basically trying really hard to explain that she's white. Um, and then her like sponsor, who's a black woman, it's supposed to be your aunt comes over and she's like, Celine, you better get over and meet this man. And she's like, I don't know who you are. I'm not a slave. I'm not anything. And she's like, you know what? You're out. You're out of here. So now Celine is um, stranded. She doesn't know what to do, doesn't know where to go. So she latches onto this man who was talking to her. Enter um, James Baptiste. James oh, Baptiste is a bastard, an illegitimate son um, of a very wealthy man um, who owns a plantation um, in the deep bayou. And he is there just on business, you know, doing some bayou business stuff. I don't know. Yeah, bayou business. So he's like, she's like, you can't leave me here. Like, please, like for the love of God. And he's like, you're so skinny and you're so ugly. I don't need a quadroon. Like, I don't need like a mixed race quadroon. Like, no, thank you. I have enough on my plate. And she's like, oh my God, please. Like, you cannot leave me stranded here. Like, she's trying to explain that she's from the future. And he's like, okay, you're just nuts, basically. So she's like, look, I'm just starving though. Like, I'm starving. Can you please just feed me? And he's like, okay. So he takes her to a little cafe and she eats like buckets of beignets, which is like living her best life, stuffing her face with these donuts. She's like, oh, I love everything. Um, and then in walks James's father and half-brother Victor. And Victor is a piece of hot garbage and they're awful to him, to him and to like everybody. Um, and J Victor is like, you know, who's this like Negro woman you're with? And he's like, this is my fiance, Celine. And he's like, what? And then he starts to like berate James. And then Celine, who's like super tall compared to these like, you know, Creole men, uh, is, like towering over him because she's also in these huge stilettos, as you would appreciate Julie alone. Uh -huh. um, and she's just like tearing a strip into him and she's like you're rude get the fuck out of here and so james kind of starts to have his heart melt a little bit because he's like oh my god she stood up for me and nobody ever stands up for me um but he takes her back to his hotel and she's like he's like you have to sleep in the closet because he had like um a sex worker with him and they bang all night and Celine's just like oh man like it's so hot in this closet um, <laughs> and so yeah the next day he's like okay let me i'll take you out to eat you know you look like you're a fucking disaster right now so he takes her out to eat and she's like oh i have to get all this stuff off so she's sitting at the table with him imagine being in pre-civil war in 19 was it nine or 1845 this woman claims she's from the future sits down and pulls her fucking contact lenses out <laughs> and he's like what the fuck and then she takes her eyelashes off and he's like what the fuck and she starts taking her nails off and he's like and he like runs away and she's like no 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 no, like it's fine i'm not it's not it's just these are things like these are just things from my time like and he's like no this is gross you just popped your eyeballs out he's like no but then she, he realizes he's like oh you have green eyes um and then victor like tells the police that um james has an escaped slave with him and there's all these like slave patrols so they go and like invade his hotel to try and like get, catch her but because it's a tan, Julie, she's able to lift up her dress and show that she's, like, white under her panty line. Yikes. So they're like, okay, they come up with this story that she's, like, actually from, like, the Caribbean. She's been spending time in the Caribbean. She's just really tan. Um, he's like, okay. He's like, look, I will take you back to my plantation. Um, I'm, you're going to be the governess. You're going to take care of my kid. You're going to take care of my mother. Um, and you'll just do that for now. And she's like, okay, cool. And as they're about to leave, she sees this like little hut with a bunch of people coming in and out. She's like, who's that over there? He's like, oh, that's the voodoo queen Marie Laveau. And she's like, what? I'm looking for her. So she goes over and Marie Laveau's like, oh, hello, Celine. I was waiting for you. And she's like, what? How did you know my name? And she's like, oh, I'm pretty sure a distant relative of mine put a voodoo curse on you. 
Um, so she's like, you know, don't worry, I can send you back to your time when the time is right. Um, so she's like, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you these seeds. You have to hold on to these seeds. And then when the time is right, I'm going to send you a voodoo doll, like a grigri or whatever, like grigri, whatever that means. Um, and so what happens is when she gets the doll and the time is right, she's going to have to wear her ball gown again, put like however many seeds into the doll that she wants to travel like for years. So she wants to put 150 seeds into this doll and then she'll just travel. She'll just travel back to the future. And so she's like, cool. But she doesn't tell James because James is like very anti-voodoo. Um, so they go back to the plantation. Um, they brought their friends, um, Fergus and what's his, I don't know his wife's name. I don't remember. Um, so Fergus and his wife, they go back to the plantation with them. And in the meantime, they're traveling through the bayou and Celine's like freaking out because there's alligators everywhere. And then she like, he's like, oh, she's just so, so like troublesome. And then she like saves everybody from a fucking mean old snake. And he's like, oh, maybe she's not as bad as I thought. Um, so they get back to the plantation and the house is just like in shambles. It's like falling apart. So she's realizing that like her like Scarlet O'Hara dreams are just dashed. She's like, oh man, this man needs help. Okay. So she goes there and she is going to start like fixing up the house and helping the servants and stuff and she's like totally against slavery so at one point he buys some slaves at an auction and she's like pissed but then it it turns out because sandra hill's really trying julie sandra hill's trying so hard to make it clear that our main characters are not racist okay so even though james baptist bought some slaves hear me out Uh he's really good to his slaves Um, and he like is very good to them and then after five years he gives them their uh freedom but they have to stay on another five years and they get like paid as servants and then after that five years after like 10 years they can do whatever they want but they make it very clear that all of the slaves and ex-slaves stay behind to stay with him because he's such a good person so you're like okay sandra hill is trying because he has a sugar plantation he can't do it on his own uh, we also found out that um, James actually was a slave at one point. So James signed into like indentured service for three years, but then got conned and had to buy back his freedom, like out in the Caribbean or something. So he was actually like a slave for 10 years. So he inherits his plantation, but he like wants to run it well. So he does buy slaves, but he, he understands really because he was a slave. So, <laughs> yeah so like the whole time like their sexual tension is just like mounting and mounting and mounting but james even though he like humps her and comes his pants at one point he will not get it in he just won't stick it in and at one point he's like you know you'll get pregnant like he's like you know that's not we can't do that you can't get you're gonna get pregnant and she's like oh yeah no you're right so he cares about her reproductive health which okay. i think is great really cares about her reproductive health so they go back to the plantation. The tension is palpable, palpable. Um, and she meets his son, Etienne. And Etienne's like five years old. And he's just very mischievous because he lives in the fucking bayou. And like his dad's never home. And he's being raised by like slaves. So he's just really rebellious. And she's supposed to like teach this little boy. And so she basically has to like trick him into liking her by being a hard ass. So she like puts her contacts back in. And she's like, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to do this. And she rips out her contacts. And he's like, ah. um it tricks her so she wins them over they start like hanging out and i'm not even kidding julie this is when she starts to incorporate the future into her life at this thing so she tells etienne the story of et what she tells him the story of et because he wants a nickname like she's like etienne's such a mouthful like i want to give you a nickname um, and he's like, like what, like it? He's like, why would that's stupid? And then so she tells him the story of ET. He's like, okay, my name is ET. So they call him ET for the rest of the story. <laughs> and then she like draws him pictures of ET and writes some little books about ET. It's hilarious. Um, and so at this point, like the tension still exists between them. And you know, she's like, look, he's just like, will not leave it be. He's like, you're a witch, a voodoo. And he's like, look, I can prove to you that I'm from the future because she had her makeup bag with her from the future. So she opens it up and what does she pull out, Julie? But a copy of Wee Magazine where she's on the cover 
as the oh. most beautiful face in America. So here she has this modern 1996 magazine, and he's just like can't even believe it because he's like, what kind of paper is this? Like, what what is this? Like he doesn't understand. And this this magazine like changes everything for them because um not only are there articles about like cars and airplanes which he's never heard of and like there's like lingerie ads and all kinds of things there's straight up Julie <laughs> there's articles from Dr. Ruth in this magazine Ooh! and so he's just like what the fuck so Celine also brings like sexual freedom to the plantation and she starts like hanging out with the slaves and um Fergus's wife and uh um, her name's Reba, sorry. Fergus's <laughs> wife's name is Reba. And Reba is like very shy and stuff. So, <laughs> so Celine not only brings sexual freedom to the plantation, she also brings makeovers, even though she's trying really hard to disassociate from like the beauty industry. She gives Reba a makeover uh, and it blows her mind and it blows Fergus's mind. And then they just start fucking all the time. So see, Celine is battering the plantation for all. And then... She starts talking to the slaves and all of the women slaves have flower names like Iris and Rosemary and uh, Hyacinth. Like they all have flower names, which I thought was pretty darling. Um, and so she, they start talking about like body positivity. And then Iris is like, my ass is so big. And instead of Celine being like, your ass is grass and beautiful. Like you just rocket girl. She's like, well, you could do some push crunches to make it smaller and they're like what is that and then one of them's like can you make my boobs bigger and she's like yes so she starts to teach an aerobics class <laughs> to the, to the slaves no but they no. can't say aerobics they say aerobics oh okay and then my, julie my favorite part of the book is that she needs a song she needs a song to kind of give a beat to the aerobics class so she's trying to try to think in her head like Hey, what's a good one? She's like, old time rock and roll. No, no, no. Mm. She settles on achy, breaky heart. No! She settles on achy, breaky heart and teaches all of the women achy, breaky heart to do their aerobics too. In the deep south by you. 1845. Oh. Achy, breaky heart. Yeah. Oh my God, I love this so much. It's so good. It's so good. Okay, so in really good with the slaves everybody loves her at sand like coming around she starts teaching the like um the little like the black children on the on the plantation too everything's going really well um and then james is like you're too much temptation i cannot have you here you need to go so he talks to his friends the collins and he's like take her to be your governess and um Meanwhile, like, they keep having these, like, hot-to-trot moments where they, like, rub up against each other. Anyway, so the Collins are like, yeah, sure. So the Collins come to visit. Celine is really upset. Um, she's decided that she's going to, like, just make it awful for him by being hypersexual. Um, so she makes herself really sexual. And the Collins come to visit. And um, Pierce, who's, like, I guess the brother of Andrew Collins, um, who's like older, he's like worldly, very, very handsome. He just like gets really hot for uh Celine. And then James notices and he starts like fucking drinking his face off and it turns into a whole thing. But that entire chapter where she's meeting the Collins, everybody's just winking at her. Like Pierce keeps winking at her and James keeps winking at her, that she comments in the story, like about how much winking there is, and I thought that was really fun. Yeah. So, James is just like too horny. He decides not to send her away. Decides he's like in love with her that, you know, they're just going to give into their love. Like it's, it's too much. They love each other so much. It's too much. So they decide to have this like really drawn out long bang session. And it's really beautiful. And it's same thing. Like he really cares about her consent and like he edges her the whole time. And then, you know, he's like showing her his, you know, her body, and he's like, you're so beautiful to me, like this and that, and just makes it really about her, and it's, it's really lovely, um, and she feels so in love, and she decides, she's like, I'm not going to go back, she's like, I'm not going to go back to the future, um, but then there's a ghost, <laughs> of course there is, <laughs> there's a ghost, and this ghost keeps showing up in the house only when there's thunderstorms, and um, tries to kill James, 
and they're like, this is really weird. Because James's wife is dead, so they think it's the wife's ghost that's trying to kill him. Um, nobody knows what happened to her. She just kind of like ran into the bayou one day, and they're like, she drowned. <laughs> but nobody liked her. She was really mean. She like hit the slaves. She was like really mean to her little boy, like just awful person. So nobody was sad she was gone. <laughs> Not even James. He was like good riddance. So um, this ghost keeps showing up and Celine hears about the ghost. And so she's like, this can't be a ghost. I'm going to fucking catch them. Um, and sure enough, um, she, the ghost shows up on a, on a thunderstormy night and she like attacks the ghost, but she gets cut in the process. And the, the ghost was there to kill James, but James had already set up a trap. And so he's just like, oh, he's like, you stupid woman. Like, I got this. And he's like, oh, but you're trying to protect me. And like, nobody's ever done that. And he's like, I love you. But the ghost gets away. So like, shit. So they're in love. They've decided they're going to get married. Uh, his mother, who had been a recluse, um, starts to kind of come out of her shell when she sees Celine doing her aerobacks with the servant. <laughs> um, and she loves Icky Bricky Heart. So she's like coming out and just like being part of it. And then they decide to start group therapy. So all the slaves get to have group therapy after their aerobacks and the mother decides to join them. And she kind of opens up to Celine about her alcoholism and explains why it kind of tells them like her story. And so she understands better why uh, James is the way that he is. He doesn't want to have illegitimate children because he was one. And like, he works really hard for like his money and like all of that. So she understands him better. And uh, the mother then kind of opens up about um, Giselle, who was James's, former wife and like how awful she was um but then says you know what i think she's like i think the ghost might be someone that looks like giselle she's like and i want to set up a trap to catch her and she's like okay like i'll go along with this so they end up taking iris big booty iris as she's described in the book and Iris takes them into the woods where there's like ongoing voodoo celebrations happening on Thunderstorm night. And there she sees Victor, uh, James's brother, uh, there with Flor. Because Flor, who was um, Georgia Jones's relative, um, is his quadroon. And so Celine makes sure to tell her, like, don't stay with him. He's going to kill you. And she's like, oh, my God. Um, so it turns out that he sends Flor over because Flor is Giselle's half-sister. So they look the same, except Flor is biracial. Um, and Flor is forced to poison James's bourbon. And um, Celine catches her and then is like, what you doing, girl? I'm like, what's what's going on? She's like, Victor made me do it. So then they hide her. They decide they're going to hide her and protect her from Victor because Victor is a trash person. Um, so they're protecting her, and then Victor sends in like the the slave squad, and they try to find her, and they can't. Um, and then they start to just cause trouble for the farm. But meanwhile, who shows up but Giselle, who was supposed to be dead? fucking shows up back at the house and she's like oh i fell into the bayou and i lost my memory and this fisherman family took me in and i only just recovered my memory and so i'm back home with you my love um and she starts fucking shit up because she's a drug addict she's addicted to laudanum which victor had been feeding her this whole time um, it turned out Victor and uh, Giselle had an affair before he even married, like she even married James. It was a whole thing. So Giselle starts like fucking shit up. The slaves are scared of her. The children are scared of her. Her own son is scared of her. Um, and then they decide they're going to make her like sweat out the drugs. And um, then she kind of tells the whole story about how, you know, Victor put her up to this. Victor and she are in love. And, you know, she just needs her medicine, which is her laudanum and the whole kit and caboodle. And then one night she gets out of her room by beating up her guard. And then she gets some of her laudanum. And then they end up like fucking like burning down the sugar uh, field. And um, she ends up shooting Celine. Just when you think everything's going to be great, she shoots Celine uh, or Celine. And oh, I say Celine. You can call her Celine. Girl, you know I'm going to correct you. I bet last Celine. 
Selena, Selena. Um, so she shoots Celine and then Celine thinks she's dead, but she ends up being in like a coma for three weeks. Uh, she wakes up, everything's like she's better. Uh, James is out of town. He comes back with a pastor. They get married, but he brings her back a dress made of green velvet and gold tassels for her wedding dress, just like the one Scarlett O'Hara wore in Gone with the Wind. I was going to say, I'm like, this rings familiar. Uh-huh, Love that uh-huh. little detail. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, they get married. Fast fast forward to um, five years later, they're in California. She told them about the gold rush. So she's like, let's go out there. They sell the plantation and they go south. And then she has like five kids, including her stepson, Etienne, and she's pregnant with another one. And so that's how it ends. But it also ends because um, they've opened a ranch. They're not like gold rush people. And so it's a watering hole for people. And who do they meet? But two people in U.S. military uniforms telling blonde jokes, which tells her that there's other people from the future in her time. And that's how it ends. Oh, damn. So is there a sequel? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but here are some things that, like, I, they just didn't make it into the story I told you, but they're everywhere. So there's constant references to Gone with the Wind. Insofar as Celine just starts to straight up say fiddle dee dee to everything, which I love. Because, um, like, Giselle would try to fuck up her shit, and she's like, hmm, fiddle dee dee. And I was like, huh. Um, and then there's times where she's like, tomorrow's another day. And, like, straight up, James says, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn in the book. And I was like, cool. I'm here for it. So big, legit Gone with the Wind vibes. Like, And it wasn't, it was totally intentional, too, because she tells him the story about Scarlet and Rhett, but he hears it as rat and crimson. So he keeps referring to them as rat and crimson, which I thought was pretty cute. Um, a lot of things I liked in the book was the sex scenes were super spicy. Super, super Ooh, spicy. Nice. She tells blonde jokes the whole entire book, which is kind of how she lowers the defenses of um, the people around her, um, specifically James. Which, And, you know, as a blonde, yeah. You know, I could take her leave blonde jokes, but they were fitting for this story because James is only attracted to blondes. So she kind of uses that to show that she's like funny and witty and people love it. So I was okay with it. Um, she makes tons of references to the future, <laughs> like all the time. E.T. Um, <laughs> like, you know, she, she tells stories about Star Wars. She tells stories about um, everything. And then she's teaching the women about like multiple orgasms. She's teaching them about like knowing your worth and like, you don't need a man to love yourself. She's teaching them about body pause. Like it was a really cute story. And whenever, like there's moments where she almost dies and then James like lets down his defenses and like cradles her. And like, he's just so kind to her and like soothing to her. And it was so nice to read that where it was like, he just wanted her to feel loved and like, um, what did they say? Like treasured. And I was like, that's so lovely. Like it was just a lovely story. It was funny. Um, I had this moment of like, nobody's ever going to love me this much. And I was upset. Um, and then at the end, when she was in peril, I was crying. Like I cried with this book where I was like, she has to be okay. And then she was okay. And I was like, just so happy. I loved every minute of this book. Um, I also loved how much uh, James would not give back to the Wii magazine. And at one point he's like, those future people are so lazy. Like, that's like calling this magazine people or life. <laughs> I was like, yeah. But he's like so turned on by this book because he's like, what is oral sex? And like, it's, oh my God, it's so funny. And it was so endearing. And James on the cover of my book looks like fucking Trudeau or like Eric from The Little Mermaid. Yeah, it was like Renee and I... Um... Yes, are adamant yeah. that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is Prince Eric from Little Mermaid. Um, yeah. Fight us if you disagree. So, <laughs> love that. Yeah, it was lovely. And she got to eat buckets of beignets. Like, instead of a wedding cake, she had beignets. Like, beignets all the time. They kiss and he's like, you taste like beignets. And she's like, fuck yeah, I do. Like, Donut Queen of the South, Celine. That's what's I fucking up. love. Also, what I love is that your book the references to the future are like pop culture references um because yeah. in my book it was like cars trains <laughs> <laughs> and 
at one point, one of the things that he does to try to like convince her that he is in fact from the future is he says like, oh, is Napoleon still alive? And she's like, um, yeah. And then he's like, okay, well, this is how Napoleon's going to go down. And she's like, how do you know? And he's like, write it down. I'm telling you, this will be my proof. Um, and then sure enough, like he gets taken out and then she reads it in the paper and she's like, holy damn. Meanwhile, yours is like, achy breaky heart. Oh my God. And there's a scene where like the mother catches James and Celine like making it. And she's like, sorry to interrupt you too, but we're having dinner now. And she walks away humming achy breaky heart. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I love this book. It was so adorable. So if anybody wants to read this book, I will mail it to you because everybody should have this experience. It was precious. Oh, I will throw mine in the hat as well. If you are looking for some imposter by Elaine Fox, this will have traveled from Renee's neighbor to Renee to me to you. It is well loved and well worth the 400 page read. Um, I think you should hit us up with a reenactment now. I think it's time. I think I need to hear this in. yeah, I need some word for word of what went down. Okay. I'm just reading a quick scene between Celine and Madame Baptiste, who is the mother of James, um, where she just basically, like, reveals all of this bullshit that's been going on, and it was out of the blue. I was not expecting this. Okay. Celine entered the Gaspagnat apartment an hour later. Mrs. Baptiste was kneeling on her prie-dieu before a miniature shrine of the Blessed Virgin. Seeing her guest, the slim woman made a quick sign of the cross and stood. She motioned to Celine towards a small settee before which a tea service had been laid. While Celine added a pig load of sugar and cream to her tea, Miss Baptiste discreetly snuck a huge dollop of liquor into her cup from a nearby decanter. Her eyes caught Celine's as she was putting the stopper back in the decanter. I do not always indulge, Mrs. Baptiste confessed, picking nervously at the weave in her violet-patterned cambric morning gown. Oh, please, Mrs. Baptiste, don't think I'm judging you. I'm the last person to throw stones about addictions or any other weakness. <clears throat> Mrs. Baptiste smiled kindly. I would like to talk to you about my need for liquor. Your group therapy session today touched me so, but I could never bear to speak in front of the service. Celine nodded, understanding her reticence completely. Mrs. Baptiste fidgeted. Then, with a disgusted sigh of exasperation, she folded her fluttering hands in her lap. James thinks I'm a weak woman, but I'm much, much stronger than he would ever give. It's just as, it's just that there are things he does not know. That's why I invited you here today. No, Celine stood up abruptly. It's not right that you should tell me your secrets and not James. Why should it matter if you're going away? Mrs. Baptiste asked with a sly, knowing expression on her face. You mean because of the Collinses coming this Sunday? No, that is not what I mean, Sherry. It took only a moment for Celine to remember the lavender gown figure pausing outside the library that morning. With foreboding, she dropped back into her settee. You know, she breathed, fear rippling over her skin. We, oui. but I suspected for days, your magazine is very interesting. You've seen my magazine too? Oh, James is going to be serious. James is not going to know, Mrs. Baptiste said firmly. This is our secret. I do not understand how you came to be here. I suspect you're the answer to my prayers to the Blessed Virgin. Her eyes shifted pointedly to the shrine in the corner. Celine felt like giggling hysterically. Jeez, now I'm the answer to a southern lady's prayers, not a southern gentleman's, mind you, but a southern lady's? Oh, Lord. I believe God sent you here for James, Mrs. Baptiste added, as if reading her mind. Celine's eyes widened with amazement. Have you been ye, my dear? I had blossom make them especially for you. She offered with a soft smile, and then Celine's mouth was full of the delicious confection, and she was unable to voice a protest. Mrs. Baptiste added, I need your help to kill the ghost. Oh, boy. Of course, it's Giselle. Oh, boy. <laughs> Aided by that diabolical victor. Oh, boy. Have another beignet. Oh, did I fail to mention? Giselle was having an affair with Victor before she married James. Oh, boy. Celine started to choke, and Mrs. Baptiste poured her another cup of tea. I discovered that Giselle was conspiring with Victor from the beginning of her marriage to my son, and that's why I killed her, of course. Oh, boy! A huge chunk of beignet lodged in Celine's throat, and for a moment she couldn't breathe. This is not happening to me. I have not... 
I am not lauded in bed or landed in bedlam. This is not Joan Crawford and whatever happened to baby Jane. I just imagine that demure lady sitting in front of me sipping tea said that she killed someone. But if I see anyone remotely resembling Betty Davis come down those stairs, I'm definitely going to pee my pants. <laughs> I enjoyed killing her, you know. I shouldn't admit that, but I did. She was an evil, evil woman who deserved to die. Mrs. Baptiste, you really need to talk to James about this. Or a priest or two, not to mention a psychiatrist. Mrs. Baptiste ignored her advice with a dismissive wave of her fingers. I've been saying a rosary a day in penance since I killed Giselle, but God must not have forgiven me yet. That's why the ghost comes back to haunt me and by you law. That's why I dream. Celine put a cup on the table and rubbed her furrowed brow, trying to understand Mrs. Baptiste's jumbled words. Let me get this straight. You killed Giselle? How? I'd seen her making love with Victor. I had to stop the wickedness, especially when the devious plot spread to my son and grandson, endangering their lives. You didn't answer my question. How did you kill Giselle? Poison, she said matter-of-factly. Then I dragged her body down to the bayou, near, near the quicksand pit, and watched as it started to sink. Oh, my God. But her spirit was picked up by a dark figure in a long black coat. I think it was Satan, she said to the last on a hushed whisper and made the sign of the cross. Mrs. Baptiste, you must confide in James. You must. No, no. I could never do that. James would feel even more guilty than he does already. <laughs> Celine frowned, unable to understand the relationship between James's guilt and his mother's actions. They argued fiercely that night, as was the pattern so often. I don't think they even shared a bed for many months, she told with a knowing nod. If he suspected what I had seen and done, he would be consumed by guilt. Uh, and he would kill Victor, perhaps be imprisoned and executed for the crime. There are too many, too many risks. Celine's brain reeled with all that Mrs. Baptista told her. And you want me to help you kill a ghost? Mrs. Baptiste giggled, putting her fingertips on her lips in a girlish fashion. Oh, there's not really a ghost, my dear. Surely you know that. Of course. Yep, this is Bedlam, and I'm beginning to feel like the star attraction. It's Victor who's trying to kill James, and maybe even... Me. There's no ghost, no doubt his place, Giselle's half-sister. Love. <laughs> Giselle's half-sister, Celine asked in a groan, a headache the size of Vermont throbbing behind her eyes, and Celine began to see that this tap dance through time uh, posed even more problems than she had originally thought. We, oui, she is a quadroon, of course, uh, but she looks remarkably like a, a darker version of Giselle, except for the blonde hair, of course. I believe that Victor and his evil took great pleasure in bringing both sisters into his bed. Celine put the heels of both hands against her eyes, hoping to see them, uh, stem the pounding pain. Finally, she looked at Mrs. Baptiste, who waited patiently, sipping her tea. Okay, I think I understand. Now, what do you want to do? Mrs. Baptiste reached down to a tapestry reticule lying at her feet and removed a crisp parchment, brown with age. She handed it to Celine significantly, saying, I give this into your care. I no longer feel safe with me. This is what Victor and Giselle sought all those years, but Victor continues to search for. Only this paper or James's death will satisfy his greed. What is it? Celine asked as, if she, as she unfolded the aged legal document. It was a will, dated 1810, signed by Marie Verdun Edmonds and Jean-Baptiste, Jean-Paul Baptiste, and witnessed by Judge René Lapin. 1810, Celine mused, that would have been before James's birth. While Celine read the brief document, Mrs. Baptiste explained, I told you before that Jean-Paul loved me. When I discovered I was enceinte, and Jean-Paul was unable to marry me. I decided to go to England to stay with my father's family. Jean-Paul begged me to stay. He promised to provide for me and our child, to give us a home and monthly maintenance. But most important, in the event of his death, half of his estate would go to our child. She pointed at the document in her lap and noticed the codicil at the bottom. Uh, his will cannot ever be revised to delete this provision for James. Now Victor wants it back, Celine said with a sudden understanding. We, oui, desperately, and Jean-Paul... Mrs. Baptiste shrugged miserably. I think he changed his mind as well. If he ever had any intention of providing this for James, in fact, he once asked me to give it back to him for safekeeping. Safekeeping? Why does everyone think a woman have a syllabub for brains? Why don't you just give this will to James? Ha! He would tear it up. He wanted nothing from his father. Well, then? No, I've suffered too much. James has suffered too much. He deserved at least this, she said, her hands shaking with emotion as she tapped her fingertips on the slip paper. Okay, let's suppose I hide this will. That won't help you at all, because you already know that James is sending me away, and we cannot let James send you away, Mrs. Baptiste said blithely. And that still doesn't solve the problem of the ghost. Ah, uh, that's simple, my dear, Mrs. Baptiste said, patting her hand. You and I are going to set a trap for the ghost. Oh, boy. 
using voodoo. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> that was the funniest part of this book, um, except for the Aki Breaking Heart. Please, no. Please, please, please <laughs> indulge me with your book. I gotta know. I gotta know. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't don't get excited. You yours is like your hard act to follow because mine is just it's very underwhelming what I'm about to read you. Um so my biggest conundrum for the first ooh, 298 pages of this book is that it was called The Imposter. And I couldn't figure out why, because he came from the future and she didn't believe that he was from the future, but she didn't think he was anyone other than some crazy person from the future. So I couldn't understand why it was called The Imposter. But this is where he realizes that he may be some famous man's son. <clears throat> Wait a minute, Flynn felt suddenly queasy. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Lords straightened and looked at him but said nothing. The Duke sat back in his chair and studied Flynn. How long have you been in England? About a week. Is this your first return here? Yes. Why'd you come back now? This was a tough one. Flynn shifted his eyes to Mimi Sound and found her staring at her hands in her lap. I, I didn't really have a choice, he said finally. I, I My father died recently, and my mother wanted me to come back. I'm not sure exactly why, but I did it to appease her. She knew, Lord said, said softly to the Duke. Perhaps she had a fit of conscience. Did she instruct you to come to me? Flynn laughed. To you? He chuckled again. No, no, she didn't. The Duke's brow descended, and an ominous expression overtook his face. Why do you laugh? My questions are not intended to be humorous. Well, yes, I know that, sir, but the idea of her telling me to come to you strikes me as funny. I'm sorry if that offends you. Did anyone instruct you to come to me? One side of Flynn's mouth kicked up and he glanced toward Moody Sound. She did. Yesterday, after getting your note, she said we had to come. So here I am. The Duke's eyes grazed Moody Sound and returned to Flynn. You would not otherwise have come. Flynn felt the desire to laugh again, but squelched it. He pressed his lips together and shook his head. No. Silence reigned for a moment in which the four of them sat still in the opulent room. Mr. Patrick, the Duke said, exhaling slowly. Many young men over the years have come to see me, claiming to be my last son. You are familiar with the story of how I lost my son. He raised his brows at Flynn. Flynn glanced again at Midi Sound, who was giving him a significant look he could not translate. Or maybe he didn't want to translate. I, he said slowly, understand he died when he was young. He was presumed dead, Mr. Patrick. He was playing a game with lords during which he ran out into the terrace and that was the last anyone ever saw of him. Flint's heart pumped wildly in his chest and beads of sweat broke out on his forehead. Was he kidnapped? The words emerged as mere whisper. We didn't believe so, at first. Lords had thought he'd heard a splash, indicating the boy might have fallen into the fountain, but no trace of him could be found. Lord Maristrom looked down at one hand where it gripped the armrest of his wheelchair. His name was Norflin Bellamy Hamilton Archer, and we called him Flynn. Flynn tried to take a breath, but it caught in his throat. He exhaled on a cough. That's <laughs> quite a coincidence. This was insane. Of all the insane things that had happened so far, this was truly insane, Flynn thought. One of the Duke's brows rose. Do you think so? Uh, yeah, of course. He couldn't let them believe this, Flynn thought. It was too much. And yet the coincidences were incredible. The two men seemed almost convinced. Indeed, Lord seemed already convinced that Flynn was Maristron's long-lost heir. But that was crazy. What these men didn't know, and what Flynn couldn't possibly tell them without being committed to an asylum for sure was that he was from 1998, and there was no possible way he was this Lord Norflin or whatever his name was, who had disappeared 30 years ago. He was Flynn Patrick, staff speechwriter for Senator Irving Strand, Columbia graduate, high school, all-state, running back, general all-around, all-American kid. Flynn, listen to them, Billy Sound said quietly, looking at him with such an expression of awe that he was almost tempted to go along with the story. But looking back at Lord Maristrom and Lords, two old men whose lives were almost over, whose hopes had run away with them, whose last chance to find their rightful heir seemed to be at hand, he just didn't think he could take advantage of them like that. My son disappeared, the Duke continued in a steady voice, on September the 6th, Mr. Patrick. 
which was the day he popped out of the fountain. So that's when he realizes, oh, shit, I was this man's son. I was a kid. I fell in a fountain. I was brought. Anyways, it's a whole thing. Um, There you go. <laughs> that's the impossible. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, that was a thrill ride. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much. There was a lot of inexplicable, as I was reading that, I'm like, well, there's a lot of, I glanced at her, she glanced at me, we glanced at him, we glanced at each other. <laughs> a lot of that. Um, so I definitely feel like it could have used some editing, but um, mm-hmm. that was our time travel week. That was our time travel episode. Roll happy with our choice. Thank you for the idea of having this episode based solely on your wackadoodle book that you wanted to read that turned out to be great. It was so good. I'm so happy. Um, What are we doing next week, Renee? Julie, are we doing episode two of Bougie Bitches next week? Bad and Bougie. Bad and Bougie Mm -hmm. season two. Pumped. Pumped. My cover has the creepiest looking man on the cover, so pretty excited about it. I I think I know which one I picked, but I haven't pulled it off the shelf yet. Oh, I looked it up today, and uh, whew! It is. It's cold spicy. Oh, my my. Well, it was really nice chatting with you this week. So good. Do you want to sing us out, bud? Sure do. Ravage love. Ravage love. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS, the number two, J Show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.